0: I'm Greg Daller-Coltman. Welcome to Ellipses Thinking, a podcast dedicated to exploring the nature of the creative journey in process. If an ellipses builds the perfect bridge from where you've both been and are now to where you're next meant to be, then what intrigues me most lives in the spaces between those three tiny dots. Over the years, when teaching about significant artistic moments and the creative voices that inevitably emerged in the darkest times of war and conflict, it was always, conveniently, back then or way over there. When I first conceived of this podcast, the idea that the world might find itself in the grip of a war that is touching us all was to me unimaginable, and in saying so, I acknowledge the privilege that is embedded within my statement. As a Canadian, I have been incredibly fortunate throughout my lifetime to be, or at least feel shielded, even naive, about what the reality of war might be like. For many years, I've taken pride in the label of peacekeeper as a country, even when doing so resulted in the creation of a convenient blind spot. And now, as we all look on at the ravages of an indefensible war on a peaceful and democratic Ukraine, war feels far too close, too intimate to remain comfortably numb. As I considered the idea of Ellipsis Thinking and its invitation to take a moment to wonder from within, I found myself curious about how artists here, and especially those with deep personal relationships with Ukraine, might be processing and responding to what we are all now seeing. So on this episode of Ellipsis Thinking, we focus on this role of the artist in response to war and conflict and welcome two conversations with Canadian artists, with family and friends living and fighting to survive in Ukraine. In both of these conversations, I was struck with the common theme of how vital it is that we find our authentic way or the language that feels right and that best allows us to express what needs to come forth. In this first conversation, I speak to Larissa Sembalek Chalatin as she reflects on how, for over 40 years as a visual artist, she has been compelled to find the light in order to balance out the power of the dark. So, thank you so much for joining me uh, in this conversation, and um, I just I I want I want to acknowledge while I'm here greeting you of how moving it was to, to hear your voice come across social media about a week and a bit ago um, from a place that um, must have seemed, I don't know, strange, new to you as an artist. And I, I wonder if you can just speak to that a
1: little bit.
2: Um, it was strange. It was um To hear of of like real war, it's not a movie, something really happening uh, in the world, uh, which has been happening for years now, all over the world, but that hit home where I have roots in in Ukraine, where my great-grandparents are from, where I've worked in the community all my life, Um, and um, it... uh, you know, you hear about women my age taking up arms and 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 having to deal with their daughters going to fight and their children going to fight, um, and, uh, uh, and having to babysit. And just it it really hit me. Well, what can I do? And mm-hmm. um, my initial response to it in the, in the post came about. Well, as an artist, um, I have a voice. I can pick up a paintbrush. I can't pick up a gun, but I can pick up a, a paintbrush and, or, or graphics or what, whatever uh, the medium is to express how I'm feeling, but also to send out messages, um, uh, be moral support um, and during the cause. And since posting that, I have thought back um, – What what has made up my life that I would that I would immediately think about doing that? And um, I've always thought about the role of art, like the the different things you can do with art. You can do fundraising. You can decorate your house with it. You can um, it can be an activity, a form of meditation. And uh, I had an experience in 1997. I was in Geneva, and the International Basel Film Festival was on. And I decided I would take the weekend and go. Over 400 artists were being exhibited, and I walked in, and um, the third booth I visited was all very uh, graphic paintings of—I uh, I would title it "pornographic mutilation," where like a breast mm-hmm. was cut off, and and and, and it. I just had this gut-wrenching, horrible feeling, and I moved on very quickly, and the fact that people were buying that art bothered me a lot. I was there for two days. I didn't see anything dramatic like that afterwards, but when I was driving home in the night through the Alps, back to Geneva, back to where I was staying, the only images that were flashing in front of me in the darkest hour I was driving were these very first ugly ones, and I thought, 400, no, 399 other artists with good stuff could not block out the horror. And I vowed that I would not be someone who creates pieces that generate that kind of response when you look at them. I'm going to count, my art is going to counterbalance. And I know there are other artists right now that are out there documenting what's happening, but I could, I could not do that. I have to, I have to do positive things. And, And so since that first post of what can i paint you know what what can i do what what can i put in my hands um i've thought about that a lot and so you'll notice any posts since then or there may be a bit of comedy you know satires happening Mm -hmm. positive images because um it's and it happens in music too you tend to Think about the uh, the dramatic pieces that are kind of dark and the same in, in drama and in movie, you know, <laughs> same kind of thing is and I so um yeah, I feel I have a role to play to counterbalance and I'm gonna do it visually. So that's where my thoughts have gone since that post and kind of um, the feeling that like I, I can do something. Um mm. and uh, yeah. I don't know if that answers. Yeah, it.
0: no, no, that's well. And what I what I love about what I just heard was the was the progression of the thinking. And the, and you know, we, we we when we look into a pool of water, we might be fixated on our face, and isn't that beautiful? What I'm hearing you talk about is looking into a pool of water, and and yeah. going into the water, yeah. and to and 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 to really deeply reflect on. What it is that you authentically have to offer, have to bring.
2: Well, it, it, yeah. it's interesting being an offer. Like I, I've been an artist for forty years, and and I mm. supported my family with that career. Mitch and I have worked together, but it has been the art that has uh, the creation of the the art that has been our focus. And of course, to support a family, there's um, financial. Tags to that, and and all of a sudden, also I'm I'm you're, that that isn't an issue right now at all. I've got these these images, these feelings that I want to come out, and I, I can suddenly relate to maybe a, a composer or a choreographer. There, all of a sudden, you 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 want you have to create it. You got to get it out, um, uh, no matter what. Like I don't care if I get paid for it or not. I'm gonna this this image has to come out. And I'm really feeling that strongly now, and um, just, uh, yeah, what, what the deeper down stuff that's coming out, what I'm it, it, realizing it's in me. It's not, um, you know, I, I don't feel like going and, and uh, you know, gathering money or answering phones right now. I've got other things that I'm, that I'm doing that, that have to get out, that have to be created. <laughs>
0: Yeah and it's interesting and I'm hearing you repeat that sense of I need to get it out out to the world and and as you know I you and I've never talked about art as therapy and I'm not suggesting for a moment that that's what it is but we I think probably would agree that it's therapeutic
2: no yes yeah um it, there, the, yeah cuz it, it's you know we you often talk about things that get bottled up inside thoughts or yeah. you, you know and I'm And I'm drawing comparisons of, uh, you know, sometimes in the past, I wish I would have said something or or wish I could have uh, broached a particular topic with somebody. And right now, I feel that if I don't express what I'm feeling, I'll probably in another 20 years still be feeling it. I won't won't have got it out. Mm -hmm. And times change. And sometimes you miss that opportunity to get it out, too. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And so... You know as we began with the role of the artist yeah. which I mean i I love that the that what you're sharing is acknowledging that that the role of the artist like the role of any individual is to know what it is that they need and to and to be okay with that not as a as a selfish uh stance but rather i have to respond I have to respond to how I'm responding yeah. and to extend that beyond what I'm what I'm intrigued by is what the artist might also be able to make available as an invitation to others who don't necessarily know how to express it, but they must also be feeling, you know, many of the same things. As you say, I don't have, I I have access to, to my paints and, and to a paintbrush and that, that can be my sword.
2: Cool.
0: And I can cut through and open up this light for me and and so, as you extend that out to a wider community, what would you what what would you hope others may be able to to receive or take as strength from from seeing you, you do what you're doing?
2: Um, part of it is to to follow your instincts. Yeah, I think. well, um, I. I have to go back a little bit. I I, I I've got so, like I've done some teaching. I've done some coaching. Um, what do you call it? you know artist in residence, different places, <laughs> and and you you find some sometimes some barriers to expressing yourself in the in the arts. You know you know you, that that's just supposed to be recreational, um, and um, and so people have hidden that part of them have suppressed it in them and uh and say i can't draw a straight line or i can't sing a note or or whatever um but at times like this just just to go with your instinct that's to express yourself like doodle when you're on the phone or or hum a note while you're walking just just to um to share that Uh, and and i can like i'm not at home right now i'm 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 with my mom who and Mm. But I have a grandson, and I was, you know, thinking, well, he's two. What, what, what would I share with him? And, and, and it might be different. I, I, I think when I get back next week, it, it might be different. But definitely, we'll probably pull out crayons and pens, and I'll see if that's a way that he wants to uh, express himself, what he's feeling, um, and. Uh, or or we or we'll go for a run around and do it something physical, at, you know, the playground. I'm I'm not sure, but uh, what I, I what I'd want to tell people to do is just uh, not to bottle it up. Find someone to talk to if you feel like you need to to talk it out. But uh, mm-hmm. uh,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, uh, yeah. and yeah. the word the word that I'm feeling coming through is is the is play play yes yeah 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 respond to and perhaps allow yourself to go back to that place where that's all we ever wanted to do when we were two
2: yeah yeah well and, and that's what we sort of strive for anyway we always strive to make sure we have some leisure time or or we're we're we um saving money to go on a trip someplace to go play and 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 to mm-hmm. work that in and and i i'm sure um like I, I think back to maybe forefathers when they, when they were under turmoil like this during World War One, World War Two, and and you you wanted to be like down to business and and make sure that everything was being done exactly, you know, no time for play, and mm. and and I think you probably got a lot of grumpy people out of that. <laughs> Just you know, uh, the, the the depression is high, the the anger is high. You you've got. Um, all kinds of sad things happening. So, you know, it, to, to encourage people, I'll tell me that's, it's not wrong. I think too, uh, I've, I've experienced in the last five, six days, people thinking it's inappropriate to laugh right now or inappropriate to take a break because it's, it's happening. People are dying right now. And, mm-hmm. you know, and because of, of media, it, you know, for people are on the phone when when a bomb goes off on the other side of the world, and and it's um, uh, it, you just feel like, well, I'm not supposed, you know, I'm not supposed to take time to uh, to myself, or I just, just got to be on all the time, and that's so unhealthy. <laughs> it's um, it, 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 uh, it we we need a balance in the world, and. So. Yeah, I don't know what else Yeah. I'm in that,
0: Greg. <laughs> well, no, but I I I think you make a wonderful point about um about balance and about uh, about our human nature needs to have that swing between what is what's to be taken seriously and there's no doubt it must be taken seriously, but if we live there and can't find light, then it's all dark.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah.
2: I'm, and, I'm, I'm working and... on my Ph.D. right now. I'm studying hmm. uh, a, um, a cartoonist from Winnipeg who um, his work became famous uh, out, just after World War One. And the dark humor that was in there and the and, and, and in the last five days, I'm rewriting a chapter <laughs> because uh, it. I can s- suddenly see what he was doing with his humor and, and how he was, he was trying to com- create that balance in his work. Um, and he was probably, you know, he published a, one of Canada's first comic books um, and uh, it's, uh, it's inspired me. Like I don't think he was going to you know, thought he would be doing that a hundred years later, but uh, just to, um, yeah, look at different things. Some of the, some of the topics that he, uh, he 100 years ago was addressing colonialism and racism in his comics, and, and it, it's sad to see it hasn't changed much at all. And, um, but he was, he was interviewed in the 1970s, and, and he was asked, why are you doing this? And he says a lot of it is to show people how not to act, how to show people that there is another side and there's humor in situations. I mean,
0: wow. <laughs> um, so yeah. again, that counterbalance.
2: It's the counter the counterbalance. Exactly what was happening to me in the that car back in Basel, Switzerland. Is for yeah. you know for all the horrible stuff, you gotta you know paint seven paintings, nice paintings for every bad one. <laughs> 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 well, <laughs> and what
0: I guess I love about what I'm hearing you say is that you are honoring the depth to which. That that resonated for you in in a negative way. Well, While at the same time, not um, and I I didn't hear you say it should never have been. It's just that in response to that, there has to be this, yeah. and yeah. I am perfectly positioned to be able to provide yeah. that. It's well, who I am.
2: Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, and I guess it's coming, acknowledging who I am, because hmm. I, I was a, in the Ukrainian community over the last. 20 odd years, attention's been brought to the interment that happened to Ukrainians in World War One here in, here in Canada, our beautiful Canada. And I was approached to create a collection that would do that. Um, uh, paintings that would acknowledge some of uh, the injustices that happened. And I, the money was good <laughs> that was being mm-hmm. offered. And I thought, well, I technically, I could do that. And I, sketched out one piece and could not do the rest I, I don't know if there's many who have said no to a good big grant but I, I had to say no you're gonna have to find somebody else it's just not in me it, and and I see nothing wrong with putting together a collection that brings attention to that it's just I wasn't the one to do it um, I, my goal here is obviously something else because I it, um, it couldn't I couldn't do it um, and, that, and that's the other thing I would tell other people. So, like, what do you what? What, what is get to know your goal? I guess too. Your goals, your personal drives. Um, just get to know yourself, and it helps.
0: So, Larissa, I I certainly have known um, over the course of our time in 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 knowing each other. Um, how many of those Incredible series you have created, the commissions or the grants that you have uh, responded to, because they did allow you to celebrate so much of the heritage of your, of your story um, and of your ancestors. And and when you think about the work that you have brought into the world, the light that you have shared, and and by light, if I don't use the word color, I'm well, really misrepresenting uh, you because I'm because it's the beauty of your, it's the beauty of the of, of the work and. and what what series what what paintings um do you feel most connected to in terms of the core of who you are? We were just talking about your authentic mm-hmm.
2: self um i've done a I've done a few, and I could speak to a few and you're you're welcome to edit out whatever works but mm-hmm. um the the very first one that probably speaks to the core of me. Um, and reflects how I felt when I was about 13, 14 years old. I remember um, my parents taking me on a trip yeah. to Vancouver Island, and we actually met hippies because it was the, the end of the 60s, early 70s. And and uh, and I heard about, you know, they were talking about the environment and and – composting you know but, and 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 i i was just fascinated by that and then coming back to edmonton and not being able to connect with anybody and my first collection that traveled around the world was called flowers of the americas and it featured endangered flowers from north central and south america and people um but you know endangered flowers in north america and i said well yes all the um uh, lady slippers. The, the biggest concentration of lady slippers in Canada are in Fort McMurray, where the oil sands are. And it, it, you know, I was able to make a statement. And then there's one painting in that collection that is a red. It's a blood red orchid that was overpicked in the 1950s as corsages in North America for women to when they're going out. And now, at that time, I, um, that exhibit was in 96, and there was only a three meter square area in the world where that flower continued to grow uh, because they're so environmentally sensitive. So that, that was a part of me that, like that was a statement that I was making um, painting beautiful pictures. But when people asked for the backstory of them there, it was an important statement. Um, Mm -hmm. Another one that comes up was celebrating women. I did a collection in 2005 today. We're recording this on international women's day and that particular one, really hit home for me because I was asked I was commissioned to create a series of paintings that honored the accomplishments of Canadian women and I was given a list and on that list the, all the women were from the same era and they were all Anglo-Saxon and they all came from Ontario and <laughs> I was put, like the first female doctor the first female judge in Canada um, and, and I uh, first aeronautical engineer. And I, looked, and I looked at that list and I, I said, but this doesn't represent Canadian women. We have women up north. We have women, we have old women. We have young women. We have women of different colors. We, um, and I reworked that list and I created a painting called Fabric of a Nation and, and, and proposed several others. And it was not the route that the group wanted to go with initially, but they realized it was more inclusive. Um, and so that was another one of where I come from is is in inclusivity, and then the one that speaks to me the most about creativity is and you're very familiar with it is the My Leonard Cohen series. Um, I was approached and asked to create a collection that that um, reflected or was part of the International Leonard Cohen Festival when it was hosted in Edmonton in 2008, and. Um, something in me wanted to go be, be go multimedia uh, I, I couldn't it was his his lyrics speak to everyone and have been interpreted in many different ways and i remember sketching and realizing that as a visual artist people usually only see the very final product and i had already experienced where somebody else has interpreted it and I, of my painting, and it's not even how I felt when I was doing it, but sounded good to whoever. And I wanted people to see the layers of the painting, so I decided, well, if I animate them, if I film them as I'm yeah. as I'm painting, people paint will see they'll see the layers that happen and where it where how it comes to that final layer. And I paint to music most of the time, and so it wasn't hard to find Leonard Cohen's music to paint to. It it it. Um, but also having um, daughters who who thrive on stage, and all of their friends and that whole community that was at, at school at, at Victoria School—they how they would move to the music. How they were—you know—we say we're moved by something, and they were very—they're physically moved—and. As I was painting, I could see movement. And as you're animating and editing, you see movement. And so to collaborate with uh, Joanne Lowry and Nico to do lighting and then all the students to do the dancing. And I love their process. I tend to work by myself, but how they would work with the dancers and get their feedback. And it just, um, the whole thing was a work of art. I just feel like I was a little part of it. Um, but it, 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 uh, it, it moved me the most. I, I still, I go back and I look at those, uh, and, and I get this, a particular feeling I haven't gotten from anything else. Um, so.
0: Yeah. And I remember it as well. And, and, and for a number of reasons I was within that community, what it, what, what I just heard you acknowledge was I often work alone as a visual artist but I thrive on that sense of collaboration mm-hmm. and the spirit of team yeah. and I come back to where we started our conversation um, acknowledging that uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong but in this moment recognizing that there are people Desperately needing to know of the power of community, they know it, yeah. but there's there's no way that another voice isn't going to be um, strength to that, and yeah. and so I I wonder as as you now find yourself bringing bringing uh, that being moved to bring more light to us all as we're as we're in a dark time, um, what kind of message how would you sum up the message you would want to infuse into the room of other collaborators of other community members um, who are being touched by this war as, as you and your family are as well?
2: Well, I can, I I I can't come up with something that would tell people how, how you should respond or how would, I would be best to respond i can tell them how i am responding and, and and how what i'm noticing is that and it often happens in times of trouble <laughs> you, you just get this sense that you have to work together and a whole bunch of petty differences disappear um yeah. and, and you know it it, it it's interesting when we, we we like we're so naive in canada when it comes to this kind of tragedy of war um, and, and, a, and a whole bunch of we, get, we dwell on petty little things just to create some kind of turmoil <laughs> I don't know to get adrenaline going up for some people I don't know what, it, what why it sense is sense so of awesome. drama yep yeah, and but when it when this happens and it's it's hit so close to home um, and you, I feel there's a natural instinct to work together uh, to and uh, and and to do that and to to share positiveness um, we do we will grieve together, we will feel guilt together, but at the same time there's uh, there's a po- positive positivity that we can that's what should be dwelt on is uh, mm. looking forward and also uh, hmm, th- th- this conversation has brought up a an idea I had a while back for a, a future uh, Exhibit um, my—I gr- have a lot of my grandmother and great-grandmother's old embroidered blouses, and mm. they have gone through a lot, and yet they are still beautiful. They've been stitched and stained, is what, I, uh, what, I've, and and still there is a beauty there, and. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we have to look at life like that and the people around us like that, where we were all kind of stitched and stained, where there's nobody perfect. Um, but at the same time, um, it, it, you know, we can, we can find the, I don't like the, the word's not beauty. Don't use that. <laughs> We can no. find a way to work together in a positive yeah. way.
0: Yeah. And the resiliency, Yeah. the resiliency, not just to be hard, but to be soft as well. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. I, I like that. That word resilience is a is a good one. Yeah. So yeah, I would share with people to do that to so to work together.
0: Um, well, thank thank you for yeah. for joining into this conversation, and uh, because I think the 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 offer of light yes. will be received, um, oh, yeah. and uh, and I really deeply appreciate it, and I I wish. All the best for your continued health and the health of the loved ones that you have here and elsewhere, and uh, and know that that um, that your contributions will continue to be valued.
2: Oh, well, I appreciate this opportunity to to just talk. You know, it's it, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's the beauty of podcasts is that uh, you can just share uh, anywhere in the world these days, which is nice. So, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Greg.
0: With homes in both Edmonton and Toronto, Peretic Productions is an independent company dedicated to presenting boundary-pushing contemporary theatre. Their purpose is to raise awareness of political and social issues that affect Canadians and international communities. The company was founded in 2008 by Matthew McKenzie and Patrick Lundeen while both were studying at the National Theatre School in Montreal. After a five-year hiatus while the pair worked independently, They rejoined forces in 2013. They invited Liana Makush to join the company as an artistic producer. The three artists have now co-produced numerous award-winning and touring productions, including Makush Barvinok, originally titled Blood of Our Soil. It was this play, inspired by a journal kept by Liana's grandmother recounting her life in Ukraine, which brought the trio to visit the country numerous times over the past few years. Over the course of these research trips, bonds were formed with artistic collaborators and community supporters who have truly become friends and family. When I spoke with Matthew and Patrick, it was clear that they were exhausted as they did their best to juggle their full-time life here in Canada with their full-time commitments to finding every means imaginable, to send direct and tangible support to the loved ones whose lives are now in danger every moment of the day. I began our conversation by acknowledging their connection to what is now unfolding in real time. I want to welcome um, two guests, Patrick Lundeen and, and Matthew McKenzie, um, to to this conversation today, which um, which is emerging because of what is emerging in in the world right now. And um, when when uh, I began thinking about having these. Lovely conversations with people that that see the world through creative eyes and feel the incredible um, compass poles to communicating their truths. Um, I, I I just I couldn't have imagined that that I would be so quickly feeling the need to have a conversation about the artist's role in a world that has flipped uh, itself upside down and and. And having said that, I appreciate that the two of you—and we'll get into this—the two of you. Uh, this is this is an awful event. The, the, Moscow's um, a completely unjustifiable, or, or Russia's completely unjustifiable uh, invasion of of a, of a country. But you also have um, have connections and roots within within that conflict that go back a number of years. So this isn't a brand new story or a brand new event you've been within this for a while and i wonder if you can just just take us into a little bit about your relationship with um with ukraine and uh and 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 some of some of what um you have come to know before the rest of the world knew it was on the verge at any given time
3: yeah um well Just for a small bit of history, Matt and I uh, both lived in Edmonton and then went to the National Theatre School together uh, and became quite good friends and started making theatre together, uh, even while we were in school. And um, Matt was a playwright and I was looking into directing. And um, after we graduated, we continued making our own projects. But I eventually ended up meeting my now wife, uh, named Liana McCoo, and uh, she's a... um, third generation uh, Ukrainian Canadian. All four of her grandparents um, survived the atrocities, various versions um, through World War II. And I know that she's always been very deeply connected to her Ukrainian heritage and her roots and her family and her both of her parents were activists in the 70s and the 80s in Canada. We began making theater and she was curious about playwriting and around that time um matt had also become quite close to liana um, and the three of us had been making plays for years back to back and uh matt had encouraged her to continue exploring this idea of writing a play about her baba's journal that she had found and so her father's um, mother's journal that she took while she was um She was documenting basically her immigration and her flight from Ukraine during World War II when she was fleeing both the Nazis um, and the Soviets. And uh, Leanne was very inspired by this journal and she started reading it. And shortly after that, so began the Maidan revolution, revolution of dignity on Kyiv. And those two things kind of went hand in hand. And I think in those early days of just sort of watching what was happening on the news and feeling so connected already to the history. She had been there. She'd been to Ukraine numerous times. She had met family there. She had friends there. Um, And just through my relationship to her and our marriage, I became kind of a Ukrainian in a way. And I became very uh, aware of Russian propaganda. I became very aware of the history long before even the war started. And uh, so around the time that Leana had decided to write this play. She approached Matt, and I think I'll let matt sort of speak from there
1: yeah, I think well Aline, uh, she initially was saying she wanted to write uh are we talking about bottom of our soil or or Aline? yeah yeah so we're we're going way way back to two thousand fifteen yeah. when, well, when yeah, you first I mean, started leanna I mean I got my start playwriting with with you greg and and with uh with your partner tammy um with playwriting classes at Vic. And so, whenever someone's got a play, I'm always hungry to <laughs> uh, to extract that from them. Um, and so, uh, Leanna had this incredible story, and uh, based off her her grandma's journals, which you know can't, gave a play-by-play account. I almost read like a kind of a film treatment um, of their flight from uh, you know various warring parties. And initially, Leanna asked if I should if I, if I wanted to write the play. I said, "Oh no, no, no! This is not my story to write." Uh, but I'd love to work with you on it. And so the first iteration of Blood of Our Soil, which is now called Barvinok, uh, was uh, was specifically to the journal. Um, and the first iteration ended with with, in essence, the Liana character, because Leanna performs the lead in, in the show herself, saying like, "I need to go to Ukraine. I need to, you know, learn about um, my family's uh, connection to the, to yeah, to Ukraine." And so we kind of, after that first iteration, even though it was, I think it sold out and did great, you know, um, we 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 try to talk about our plays as different iterations, not drafts, because it was, mm. it, it, you know, because once you premiered it, then it's like, well, why would you do it again? And we were really feeling like that Liana had really written the first half of a story, and and to write the second half of the story was very now very personal, um, and we kind of decided declared probably over a few drinks that we had to go to Ukraine. And then um Liana being the heat seeking missile that she is, she managed to go and secure a bunch of funding to bring us um to to Ukraine. And so uh this you know this incredible gift, one of the first shows that I've ever dramaturged um uh officially suddenly I'm getting flown to Ukraine uh with the blondes is what I call Patrick and Liana. <laughs> and uh and just like completely immersed in uh liana's family over there uh you know we went all over western ukraine to uh, all sorts of little villages meeting every fifth and and sixth cousin um and uh and then eventually uh making our way to the to the what was then the front in eastern ukraine uh to uh to a small place called Avdivka. uh and you know, got to witness Patrick and Leanna, um, kind of in all their theater, political theater glory. I mean, they were interviewing uh, people who fled the war. They were interviewing soldiers. They were befriending vets, um, and these were people who were really not into talking to media, uh, to to Westerners about their stories because they felt they felt that the kind of exploitative nature of that. And as soon as, you know, Leanna would bring out her giant artist journal <laughs> to start writing down notes and, and Patrick would have his camera set up, I think it was pretty clear that we weren't media. Um, yeah. But then they just saw us as, as people. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, and I think, yeah, so it was just this incredible gift for me as an artist to be able to go over there and kind of tag along uh, with those two originally um, when we were learning about the the first conflict Um and uh, and now, sadly, history's repeating itself. But also, <laughs> uh, things are are so much worse than they were um, when when the first conflict hit in 2014.
0: So. Yeah, there's something in 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 your conscious choice to see your work as as writer, as playwrights, as artists, as iterative. Um, uh, that's a That's a new frame for me around uh, around that, and it, it gives it gives credence to the fact that what I have to offer, what I have to say has the power to deepen as I become more aware and as things shift and the and, and the fluidity of that um, uh you, you referenced um you referenced the new title um uh, uh barvinok um can, can you tell us what that word means and, and, and what, where that's come from and, and how, that's, how that's feeling right now?
3: Um, well, uh, Barvinok is the Ukrainian word for periwinkle. Um, and periwinkle is a wonderful plant that grows all over the world in many places, but it's known for its ability to withstand harsh climates, hot temperatures, and gets snowed on and then in the spring it's the first thing you see popping out of the snow are these bright green barley leaves and uh liana has uh her grandparents had brought um actually brought some butterfly from ukraine and had planted it in their family cottage in ontario and so there's just already everywhere but it was always one of their favorite plants and so there's quite a few mentions of it and, and one of the finishing lines of of the play is uh you know, Something to the effect—I uh, should have it memorized, but it's been a while. Uh, mm-hmm. The Barvinok can withstand. Uh, I should find it. It's in her. It's in her notes. I sent you, Greg. But uh,
0: mm. I, yeah. yeah, I see it here. Can I? Can I jump in yeah. on that? Yeah. The uh, uh, the last lines of the play reflect on the Ukrainian spirit, which is an unbreakable spirit that can withstand anything. Um, that is—is is that what you were? Is that yeah. what you were drawing? Yeah.
3: Yeah, like like the Barvinok. Yeah, like the Barvinok. Yeah.
0: yeah. And so, uh, as we got Matthew to that place at the end of, uh, of the of the of that iteration of Blood of Our Soil and that journey, in the time between then and now, um, aside from as you say, what is now um, uh, being broadcast around the world of, of these horror images. Um, I know, because of what I've heard of you share, um, y- you both continued to journey back and have deepened your roots and and your community um, mm-hmm. of friends. Artists, yes, but I suspect far beyond that family. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, so here you are, one in Edmonton, Patrick, and, and Matthew, you're in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us about what what your days are are like and how you are channeling your desire to through story and or any other means offer strength to the to the loved ones you have there
3: um well the the first person that comes into my mind obviously when i wake up and go to sleep every morning is my wife um mm-hmm. she's just deeply connected to so much of what's going on and is carrying carrying a large weight and um a responsibility to do everything that she can. Um, as Matt described, she is a heat-seeking missile, mm-hmm. and when she gets her mind on something, she will not stop. So I'm doing my best to to support her and ultimately provide. We, we are a good partnership in the fact that I have some strengths where she might have not the same kind of strengths, and so we're able to kind of mold our talents together to, in some ways, be one heat-se- heat-seeking missile together. Um, we are doing what we can to make sure that we ho- uphold our responsibilities to our contracts that we have, our day jobs, our work. She's currently directing a play at the Citadel, which is why she isn't able to join us mm-hmm. the night here today. And uh, I'm helping build a set for a play that's going on tour. Um, but in the hours that we're not doing that, our phones are constantly buzzing. We are constantly keeping up this view with news and sharing information and trying to make, um, ultimately, connections through an international volunteer community. Of people that are hoping to collaborate to continue supporting um the war efforts that are um and and mostly right now it's fundraising and uh making connections to people who are able to donate and that's being done through social media and through articles and we're having some press we're doing a a fundraiser reading of the show that's going to get released on Thursday, actually, and that'll be have some video of just Leanna speaking directly to the people who are watching it. And that's in partnership with Blythe uh, Festival in Toronto. Um, We are window shopping for things online, medical equipment, supplies that uh, maybe haven't been found yet by the incredible diaspora of people that are already trying to purchase everything and anything that could potentially help the cause over there and get it to poland as fast as they can but leanne and i are definitely a part of that team of people that are trying to organize that and um, fundraising through members of the community who maybe don't have as same kind of ties to the ukrainian community i think are looking to us for leadership on how to support this and how to understand it and i think that right now that is our real job that is our mm-hmm. calling is the things that we're doing in our hours when we're not on our contracts um and then yes of course we sleep and eat when we can
1: mm-hmm. yeah my connection uh, went from being a dramaturg on this project in ukraine to meeting my future wife uh in the reading of uh, barvinuk nook and um we we it, we didn't get together for like a year and after but um But we were, uh, when we were doing the interviews for Barvinuk, we interviewed this incredible uh, combat medic veteran um, named Alina. And her story, after we heard her story, it was just, it was incredible. She's uh, one of the most remarkable people I've ever met in my life. Uh, She went and uh, volunteered uh, on the front when they were uh, trying to keep the the Russian and Russian separatists out of eastern Ukraine uh, when she was 19. And uh, after we heard her story, I said to Liana, "If you don't write a play about her, I'm going to." So, uh, so Liana embarked on another, another writing of a play uh, with that threat. Um, and uh, and I met my wife, uh, Maria Homatova, uh, in the reading. And so uh, we were back uh, two years ago, uh, r- workshopping uh, Alina, the 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 play about the combat medic. And um, Maria and I uh, were together by this point. And then right before the pandemic hit, I came back to Toronto to do a contract. And we learned when the international travel ban was in effect that uh, we were expecting. Uh, <laughs> so four months later, um, when the international, the day the international travel ban was lifted, uh, I went and uh, managed to kind of sneak into Ukraine and go to Odessa where my wife is from and her family. And, uh, and after a few weeks, we were able to get married there. And then we were able two weeks after that to come back to Canada and have our son Ivan in Edmonton in, uh, in December, uh, 2020. And so we were, you know, since that time, we've been just, uh, kind of counting down the days that we could return to Odessa because she couldn't travel because we had, um, her application in for permanent resident status. Um, And so we were actually supposed to go to ukraine for the better part of the summer in a month Uh, and then everything hit less than two weeks ago and so it's been very very frightening Um, Mm -hmm. and we were able just two days ago actually to get her mom out of ukraine her mom traveled from odessa to moldova then romania and then uh through poland to fly here to toronto uh so yeah, it's, uh, it's very, very personal to us. We, we have this strange blend of now family, but then all these actors we know over there and then all these vets we know over there. And the wild thing is that those two, those two things, which are very different, <laughs> are becoming the same. Uh, and, and so we already have friends um, who've been killed defending their home. Uh, my, my wife already has friends who are actors uh who she hadn't even realized were were were, were fighting have been killed defending their mm-hmm. homes um she was just taking part in a workshop before the invasion occurred a, a casting uh workshop and the fellow who was organizing it all has gone dark he he's mm-hmm. in a in a suburb outside uh kiev and uh and she has no idea whether he's uh, dead or alive so so yeah it just uh it speaks to the to the suddenness of whatever what people are sort of contending with. This this horror. So.
0: I'm. I am so I'm so sorry to to hear that, and it's so important to know that 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 you are making space. And as you say, Patrick, you're simply doing the best to put things one step at a time in a forward motion towards, again, asking the question, what can we do? <clears throat> what can we do? Um, and I wonder if th- this might be a, a point when I, uh, when I could share, uh, just bring Liana into the conversation, uh, by sharing, uh, some of her words that you shared with, with, with me, Patrick, this was from, correct me if I'm wrong. It was from an address, um, that she made, uh,
3: yeah, it was actually just an art opening for two um, Ukrainian visual artists at the Alberta Council for Ukrainian Arts okay. um, space. And uh, Liana was among a list of speakers to uh, share some thoughts. And she so sort of closed off the kind of opening ceremony with, with uh, some words that we threw together a couple days before that event.
0: So she says, in light of Russia's attack on the attempt at the erasure of Ukrainian identity, it is more important than ever to be a Ukrainian artist and to support Ukrainian art. Media has its place. Art speaks in a different way than a news article. She goes on to say, when I was in Ukraine, people didn't want to speak to us when they thought we were media. But when they, thought, when they found out we were artists, they would open up to us in a different way. I believe art can connect through empathy, compassion, and something intangible. Art expresses, evokes, and encapsulates emotion, nostalgia, humanity, and an intangible human experience. We believe it in our spirits, which is a deeply private, personal experience. And she goes on to talk about connection and identity. And what I'm curious about the three of you as, as committed artists, living as artists, the, con- the, the, the desire to connect, the need to tell stories to remind us who we are, where we are, and what we need to do. How are you defining or seeing the role of art in this moment?
1: Well, I think that... Uh... You know, in our kind of media age, people right now are very tuned in to what's happening in Ukraine. People have their their live feeds on, but you know, even with those stories, with people reading them, it's all a bit of a wash of of uh, you know explosions and and bombings and shelling,s and uh, and it, it it's easy to start to forget that there's these are people, and every one of these people has their own story. And we're very fortunate insofar as we've already got uh, an incredible play that Leanna has uh, written that's getting premiered in May in Edmonton, um, titled Kitska, um, And it's about this very medic that we're raising funds to, to support the effort right now. It's about her effort, her solo effort in uh, 2014 to basically do exactly the same thing, which, you know, just boggles the mind. That she's doing this again, she must must feel like she's caught in a nightmare. Um, but uh, but you know then, Patrick and Leanna are going to be touring their their show Barvinuk in the fall, and that that speaks to the story you know very much the historical context of this um, you know Ukraine being this place that the big powers battle over, um, and the people just get trampled. And then a year from now, we just found out that that a show about My wife and I coming together, having a baby. uh, First, making Man of Odessa is going to be happening at the Citadel, Um, and that for me is very much a celebration of the you know Canadian Ukrainian connection. You know, Mm -hmm. I I think the Battle of Alberta yesterday. They said there's like 325,000 Canadians of or Albertans of of Ukrainian descent, and that's the actual people who have Ukrainian blood. But how many know Ukrainians? You know, every one of us (laughs) we're married to them. We're best friends with them. Um, so the connection is is really deep in Alberta, um, but it's really true throughout Canada. There's so many Ukrainians in Canada. Um, so we're I feel like very fortunate to be an artist at this time that we can pour our our energy into into telling these stories, um, and then these stories obviously serve to keep these these issues in people's minds, uh, but also serve to help us raise funds because. We're we're there's desperately needed uh, support right now, and and Leanna and Patrick and I with our with our friends have already raised almost forty thousand dollars, um, mm-hmm. in in just over a week. So uh, so you know people are responding really wonderfully, but I'm also conscious that attention spans are short, and so mm-hmm. that's where the art really comes in that that we don't just let this disappear from our newsfeed and then from our minds. So. Yeah,
0: that's. Uh, uh, <clears throat> It's never really landed for me in that way. And we all know that sense of how long will something remain in the news cycle. But if you've ever had an experience that is deeply personally connecting and resonant in an arts experience, that art cycle lives with you and continues mm-hmm. to move oh, yeah. and
3: move and move.
0: Yeah. Patrick, what what, what about you?
3: Yeah, I think um, – I've always sort of found my, my access to the arts was through an, emotion, an emotional place. It, um, it, theater gave me an outlet for a, a sort of darkness and that I had as a teenager. And um, I always knew I wanted to make the world a better place. And I think that that is really somehow what got me into theater in the first place um, and also connected me to Matthew and his work because Matt's work has always been um challenging the norm, um looking at the ugly, but also making us laugh. Mm. But ultimately, um sorry, I've lost my train of thought here, but with, with with making plays about this war that, you know, when when we started in 2015, have had I known that I would still be reworking the same play. Um, last night, Liana, when we did our, our recording of the read of Barvinok, and she got to the final monologue and she hadn't seen those has and looked at those words for years. And as she read it, it, the, it slapped. These words that were on those pages that she had put, put down years ago were, were ever so relevant and even more so. And I had never heard her speak the words the way she did And so there was another evolution in her as a human to be able to tell this story from a different place and a more grounded place and a more enraged place. Anna and I have, and Matt, have been doing what we can to tell the world about what's going on over there in Ukraine through our work and through Facebook posts and through blogs and journal articles and whatever. Um, We did what we could, and many other people were doing what they could, and the world didn't listen, and the world wasn't ready, even though. It had months of watching his troops gallivant along the border. Uh, We like to just not look at things until it's hitting us in the face. Um, For me as an artist, I suppose the the lesson is maybe did we not try hard enough? Could we have been louder? Was there something that we could have done that maybe would have made a bigger difference? No point dwelling on that. What can I do in the now? How much noise can I make now? And I think for us to be able to process this as artists, um, because we are so close to it, when we're able to distill our thoughts, even in short Facebook posts or in a, an article or a, I suppose a podcast, that our processing of that is a gift to the people who listen, the people who read it, because it allows them to catch up to us a little faster and to have a bit more of a sense of what's going on with this from a personal lens, as opposed to where a media might just cover the facts. Um, I believe I have a story of A good friend of mine named Dima, who has, he came to Edmonton in two thousand eighteen to see the sort of first version of the two act play of Blood of Our Soil, now called Barvinok. And we went snowboarding in the mountains, and I couldn't get him to put his camera down. He just couldn't believe that something like this, a place like this, could exist, and that it could be so beautiful. Um, And then he took the photos home and showed everyone, and told was telling everyone in Ukraine how amazing Canada is. Next year, we brought him to see the brand new version, which is closest to the, the play that we're doing now. And he saw Toronto and he was doing outreach. A little less there. beautiful in Toronto. <laughs> it's a little less beautiful, but we still had a good time. And uh, and he and I became soul brothers. And, uh, and now he's working in the president's office trying to coordinate international volunteer efforts in Ukraine. Um, he's a, a, a veteran of the war. He was almost wo- uh, fatally wounded in combat and since then has been using his brain and his computer to fight this war. And he's been doing it for 10 years. And so when he asked us over an app that apparently the Russians are having a hard time hacking into to help, Leanne and I have met the call. And since then, we feel like we are part of an international squad. And Mm -hmm. I'm using my art and I'm using my capacity to organize, to write emails, to research. All the things that we do as artists are very applicable to the situation of what's going on. It's about making connections. It's about introducing your cousin to somebody who's in Poland, who knows someone who maybe could help with this. And if we all make those small drops in the bucket of this uh, ocean that is gonna be this conflict, it will make a difference. People are complaining about gas prices. I'm just gonna leave it there. Thank
0: you. You say you're using your art and you're using your intelligence. But it's clear you're also opening your heart to, to a world's pain and to not just a world in the general way, but to to be able to share that story, to be able to paint the picture of a deeply personal relationship with another brother from another place. You're inviting us in a very different way to not look away.
3: Mm. What's been very wonderful about the, the five-year process of developing Barvinok is, in the very beginning, it was a—it really was just Liana's journal mixed with her grandmother's journal and a couple people singing and dancing in the background, and it was lovely. It was great. But the evolution of the, the, the play has—it has matured. It has a poignancy. It is way less autobiographical, it's less connected to Liana. We needed to go and do years of research and years of growing understanding to be able to properly write fiction about what was going on over there. And to, okay. to, obviously there are still many strings and truths of pulled directly from accounts, from, from interviews, but we were able to over time weave a, a narrative together. And that's in large credit to Matthew as a dramaturg was able to take a lot of Leanna's writing and these interviews and these conversations to make a play out of it. And I think mm-hmm. what, what now what this script accomplishes is that it is so many people's stories that are over there instead of just the few people that we, you know, I think we introduced 50 or 60 people, but it is the, the story that's there could be the story of so many people that are in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, people just like us who just happen to be born on the other side of the pond. So
0: just before we wrap, I'm just wondering if there's anything else that, uh, that you want to place into this space in this container for us to, yeah,
3: absolutely. Uh, just, just when you first approached me uh, about doing this interview and, and you referenced Larissa Shaladin's painting, I, I, I'm actually friends with Larissa and I saw, her, I saw her post on Facebook and was borderline moved to tears and uh, quite moved by what she wrote. But I also really enjoyed her painting. And um, for me, I'm not a painter. I, I, I can paint houses, but I can't paint a picture to save my life. And, but when I see artists or other people sharing the work that they're doing, sharing their words... Um, it allows me a different way of processing. It allows me to process. And I know I've got good friends in Ukraine and, and seeing a picture of them singing in their bathrooms, holding their loved ones, you know, that's, that's their way of expressing themselves. And I suppose in a time like this, it's easy to feel restricted and held, and perhaps scared. And I, I would just encourage everyone to when they can, and to the best of their ability, just allow themselves to express themselves. Whether that's painting a picture, turning on the radio and singing as loud as you can, uh, writing a new song, writing some poetry, rattling your bones, just get it all out and see what comes out. It's going to make you feel better, and chances are it's actually going to help someone else too. And the more we can do that and connect with each other and share in times like this, as opposed to hiding, is extremely valuable.
0: Yeah, it's a reminder we're
3: not alone. We are truly
0: not alone. Thank you both so much. And uh, thank you for everything that you are doing, not just through your art, but through your hearts and, uh, and, and all of the other powers that you are pulling together to be able to provide um, provide for uh,
2: those in need. Thank you, Greg. Thank you.
0: The week we recorded this episode, Matthew, Patrick and Liana were in the process of completing a virtual reading of Barvinok, which is now live. It will remain online on YouTube for a month and includes information for important resources and organizations should you wish to donate to support the people of Ukraine at this time. You can find the links for the website on Peretic Productions as well as Art by Alyssa by visiting OrdinaryPodcasts.com. On the next episode of Ellipses Thinking, I speak with actor and voice teacher Alana Holly Purvis on the same day that she received a Canadian Screen Actors nomination for her performance in the film Range Roads. She shared with me how this film, essentially about returning to oneself and her personal process of working on it, served as a powerful mirror to her own journey as a mother. In both roles, she was reminded daily of her personal truth, of fully living each moment for what it presents and how as artist and mom, She continues to strive to refine success, and perhaps more importantly, her relationship to it, as a pursuit of joy. In the second half of our conversation, Alana goes on to share how she has recently discovered deeply meaningful work away from the stage, with trans vocal care. Through working with trans clients to find gender identity through their vocal instrument, Alana is able to support their journey so that each unique voice might fully represent their authentic self. I hope you will join me for Ellipses Thinking and remind you to subscribe through iTunes or anywhere you meet your listening needs. The Ellipses Thinking Podcast is a proud member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network and is produced by Greg and Jordan Dowler-Coltman. The show's theme music has been generously provided by Jordan Hart. And if you're interested in learning more about the ideas behind Ellipses Thinking, please visit dowlercoltman.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you for listening. As a resident of Vancouver Island, I wish to acknowledge that I am a visitor on the traditional lands of the Coast Salish people, including the territories of the Snonoas and Qualicum people. The First Peoples have been here for over 10,000 years. Their ancestors still here with us in the sky, the land, the ocean, and all of the beings that share this sacred place. As a settler, I gratefully embrace the opportunities for growth as integral to my personal journey of collaboration and reconciliation as I learn and further support the possibilities that lay ahead. I remain committed to
2: practicing my craft in a decolonized space.